Welcome to another edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, the NCAA.com correspondent. And let me tell you, we've got a very good show for you. If you uh, download this podcast, you will hear from NC State head coach Kevin Keats, who's doing a phenomenal job with the Wolfpack in his first season. St. John's Chris Mullen and the Red Storm have knocked off Duke, Villanova, Marquette at home. They just won it to Paul. That's four in a row for the Red Storm. Coming from the bottom of the Big East, who knows what is in store for them over the final couple of weeks. And then Clemson head coach Brad Brunell. In the ACC, if you check the standings, it's kind of crazy that Clemson is right up there with Duke. 9-4 and four after Clemson lost to Florida State. Duke beat Virginia Tech. They're trailing Virginia. Virginia is going to win the ACC regular season title, but Clemson, as we saw last Sunday, could be a top 16 team. So let's get to that for a minute. Sort of our Power 36 moment here, because in my Power 36, as I've told you this before, that's a snapshot. I'm not doing the seed lines there. I'm doing who is playing well at this moment. That's why I had Xavier number one in my Power 36 and not Virginia. Virginia had lost to Virginia Tech at home. I had Xavier because they'd come off the road wins against Butler and Creighton as my number one team in the country. The bottom part of the Power 36, I really struggled who to rank, where to rank them. And I think that's going to be the case for the selection committee. Seeding on the back part of the 68 is going to be very difficult for the selection committee. Some of the selections are going to be tough because so many teams are very similar. And so what differentiates them? It's going to be interesting. Is it going to be the road wins? Is it going to be the neutral wins? It's going to be how they finish. Uh, those are going to be kind of the nitpicky things to differentiate some of those teams in the back part of the bracket that'll be tough for the selection committee. As for their top 16 that Bruce Rasmussen, the Creighton Athletic Director, unveiled on CBS and talked to us on NCAA.com. Remember, once again, that's a snapshot. People had problems with where Michigan State was or Oklahoma was in there or Auburn as a two. Keep in mind, that was as they stood right then and there. I didn't believe that it would hold. It's not going to hold. Michigan State, I think, will end up moving up. If Auburn wins the SEC, they may hold their spot. Oklahoma lost again after that, so they're going to drop out. So there's going to be movement within that top 16. How do they determine it? You know, is it the fact with Michigan State that they played a lot of teams, I think it was eight or nine, and that 200 and above? Or do you look at some of their quality wins, whether it was North Carolina, when they played Notre Dame, beating Purdue, even if it was in the last possession? All those things are factors. The one thing I will tell you before we get to our guests, I think you have to remember that don't get caught up on bad loss, uh, what you see on regardless of the network. Um, you have to take a step back and say, okay, when did that team play that team and what was that team like? And I think the perfect example of this will end up being Minnesota because Minnesota early in the season was a top 15 type team and a Big Ten title contender. At that point, when they knocked off Alabama and Providence, they were pretty good. And that should not be considered a bad loss for those two teams now because Minnesota's in the mid-100s. Conversely, Minnesota lost to Nebraska when Minnesota was playing well, when they were whole, before suspensions and injuries. So for Nebraska, that's a quality win because of when they played Minnesota. I heard the same argument with Michigan State and Notre Dame. When Michigan State beat Notre Dame, I was at that game. Bonzi Colson played. 
Notre Dame had just come off winning the Maui Invitational. So that is a quality win because of when it occurred. That's why the selection committee, and they do this, has to continue to sort of peel it back. And those of us on the other side can't be lazy and just say good win, bad loss, and all those kinds of things based on where the team is right now. One last example for you. Ryder. Ryder wins at Penn State. How could they do that bad loss for Penn State? Ryder right now is winning the MAC. That's the MAC with two A's. So I'm not saying that a Big Ten team should lose to a MAC school at home, but it's not necessarily a bad loss losing to a team that wins its conference. So we got to think about all these things. It's not so easy, and it does take some more discussion. So I want to set the table there for you before we head to our first guest. And I'm going to start with NC State because the Wolfpack got another quality road win at Syracuse on Wednesday night in the ACC to put them in position to potentially earn a berth. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, North Carolina State head coach Kevin Keats. The Wolfpack fresh off a 74-70 victory at Syracuse on Wednesday night. That stopped a two-game losing streak, and the Wolfpack have had, I think, one of the more interesting seasons this season for a first-year head coach. You've had some great wins. I don't think any bad losses, but just sort of gone through some of the normal sort of uh, maturation process was you're getting used to a team with a lot of new pieces and new new places. So uh, what did that Syracuse road win do for you guys? Well, Andy, it was, uh, it was a great win for us. Uh, obviously, um, in college basketball, uh, anytime you get a road win, especially in the ACC, is golden. And uh, I thought our guys responded, uh, obviously, after having a tough week last week where we lost two games in a row. Uh, in order to go up to Syracuse and get what the, the committee deems as a quad one win, uh, especially on the road, I thought it was a huge win for our program. Yeah, I mean, you, you caught Virginia Tech at a time when they were playing well, obviously, as we saw, because they knocked off Virginia. And then the Carolina game, they're coming off beating Duke. You guys had already won at North Carolina. How'd you feel about the way your guys approached that game, knowing that Carolina was coming in with a little revenge aspect, they're hot, and you guys had already knocked them off on their court. Well, we knew they were going to come in and play uh, inspired basketball. Um, as you said, you know, what a huge win they had that Thursday prior to our Saturday game against Duke. And um, and obviously, um, you know, we had did a tremendous job going into North Carolina and winning there. So we knew it would be a tough game. And it was a great game all the way down to the end. It was a possession game. And um, I thought uh, the difference in the game at UNC we made the plays down the stretch to win the game. And then certainly when you look back at the game here at the PNC and Raleigh, I thought they made some plays down the stretch and, and obviously sealed the victory. But I thought our guys competed. Uh, it was a high-level game. Uh, when you look at the fact that, you know, both teams scored um, in the 90s, um, I thought we played inspired basketball. And it was a game, it was a possession game that could have went either way. So with the game at Syracuse, uh, after losing two in a row, how much of a sense of urgency did you feel about trying to win a road game like that? Well, I, I knew it was important. Um, you know, obviously I've got, uh, when you talk about me, I've got a lot of new pieces. And so we didn't so much concentrate on, you know, uh, I didn't want to put pressure on the guys and said that it was a must win. But I knew as a, as a coach going into that game, it was an important win for us. Um, 
you know, in terms of we needed to win a game after losing two in a row. But obviously, any time you have a chance to win a road game in, in, in college basketball and especially the ACC, it's important that you can get one. And I, I thought our guys responded well. Um, you know, we had a little adversity last night and we stepped up and our guys made some shots. And, and certainly we came away with a great win against a very good team on the road. Like I said, no bad losses. Um, I mean, I, I think a neutral court against a Northern Iowa team that's, you know, played decently in the Valley. I don't think that's a bad loss at all. And that's way back in November. But I want to go all the way back to November 22nd when you guys knocked off Arizona. What did that tell you about this team and your ability to reach them? Well, Andy, we have played four teams um, at home in the non-conference. And so, obviously, we were still trying to learn our team. Um, but, you know, when we went in there in, in, in Bahamas and uh, we went toe-for-toe with Arizona and obviously came out with a win, it told me that uh, this is a team that has the capability to beat anybody in the country. Uh, when you talk about the number two team in the country, it was a great win for us. Uh, maybe the best win so far in the non-conference that the ACC has had. Um, but it, it gave our guys confidence knowing that once we got into ACC play, that we would have the opportunity to play against anybody on any given night. And I think our guys took that into ACC play. Uh, when we were playing some of the upper, upper echelon teams, uh, we feel like that we can compete with those guys. We've had a great conference run. Um, you know, teams that we beat in our conference has been tremendous. And when you talk about beating the likes of Duke and Carolina, Air Carolina, then Clemson, and then going on the road, obviously winning that um, Syracuse last night. And so, our conference wins are really, really good for us. You know, there's no other way to say that that when you're a new coach and you knock off the powers that you've knocked off, especially down there on Tobacco Road, where you're trying to build up equity and credibility, what do you think that did for you in in that aspect, the, the, the greater community of Tobacco Road and NC State to show that, yeah, I can do this against the teams that you guys use as sort of the benchmarks around here? Well, I think it gives us um, great credibility and, and obviously it helps with recruiting. It helps with our fan base. Uh, you know, Andy, when you take over a program, I think early on in your tenure, you have to have a signature win, uh, both non-conference and, and also uh, when you talk about in the conference for us, in the non-conference, a signature win was Arizona. And then when you look at our, our conference one is obviously you start off when, you know, we started off a little rocky, but you ended up beating Duke. Uh, but it, it gives our fans the, the belief that the program is moving in the right direction. It's year one. Um, you know, we, we pieced together a team, and, and the guys that I have in the program are playing extremely hard. But uh, I wanted to build a program uh, in year one. I didn't want to be a, a team that came in and, and had one or two good wins, and then obviously you fall off the uh, face of the earth. So we're building towards the future, and um, – Give these guys credit, you know, for us to be seven and six right now with some unbelievable wins, maybe the best wins in the ACC. I'm excited about where the program's going. Yeah, I mean, you guys are a great example. We saw the top 16 from uh, the NCAA selection committee last Sunday that all conference records are not created equal. And, you know, I would take your seven wins up against any other league in the country in terms of someone who already has seven wins at this juncture because they may have had seven wins against the bottom. And your seven wins, if you peel them back, are obviously quality wins within the league. How, how much did that sort of learning curve take for you, even as an assistant coach or coach, 
to say, you know what, it's not about the number, but it's more about who we beat, where we beat them, and when we beat them. Yeah, Andy, that's a great point. Uh, you know, when they came out with the top 16 teams in the country, obviously for the early NCAA selection, uh, we had beaten four of those teams, uh, which was promising for us. You know, it, it means a lot when you look over conference play because certainly um, when you don't play everybody twice in the league, you have to start looking at, obviously, our strength of schedules in comparison. Uh, it's a lot of teams in conference basketball that, uh, have seven wins, but they may not be against the same teams. Uh, when you look at us, at least four, maybe five of our wins are against the topper end, uh, the higher end of our conference, um, you know, one, two, three, and four teams in the conference. Um, and we're proud of that. Um, I think our guys understand uh, where we're at. Uh, we have to continue to win. Um, it's, a, uh, um, you know, we take one game at a time. We try not to get ahead of ourselves. You know, with these guys, I've been able to, keep them in the moment and you know all we can do is focus on the next team and obviously for us our next opponent will be Wake Forest. How would you compare the stress level uh at this time of the year when you were at Wilmington when you when you know you pretty much got to win the league to get in versus you got to win select games to feel a little bit more comfortable in the situation you're in now? You know Andy it's funny it's a lot it's a lot similar uh, you know we Last year, uh, I went into the championship game in the CAA, and we had won 28 games. And I didn't sleep the night before because I knew that if we, we got tripped up in the championship game against Charleston, there was a chance that, not a chance, but we probably were going to go to the NIT. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, certainly we won the game and was able to go into the NCAA. Uh, same thing here. I, I, I want to get into you know, I have to win certain games. Uh, we think if we prepare for every game, then certainly uh, we need to win as many games as we can. But uh, it's important now with the, the new quad system that you do win certain games. And especially I think the committee likes when you have the opportunity to win games on the road. No, you've done a marvelous job of that. What's overall, though, what's been the most challenging part of this transition? Well, just just getting everybody on the same page. Um, you know, anytime you take over program, uh, it's all about building culture. But it's and, and that doesn't mean that the previous staff didn't have culture. But it's almost all all about building your culture. And so you have to do it from you know uh, an academic standpoint. What's your expectation? You got to do it from socially. How do you got you want the guys to act in the community? And then from a basketball standpoint, I'm coming in with a totally new system with pretty much, uh, you know, my four leading scores from last year not returning. And you got a mix of graduate assistants, I mean, graduate transfers, and you got a mix of freshmen and then a few guys that's returning. That's the toughest job, just trying to get everybody on the same page. And, you know, we talk about playing for NC State and not playing for the name on the back of the jersey. And what have you learned about yourself? Well, I've had a, I've learned that I'm a little bit more patient than I thought I was. This is, um, you know, I've, I've learned how to enjoy the wins uh, because when you lose a game, you certainly um, it's tough on coaches, it's tough on the community, it's tough on the players. Uh, I've learned to when you win a game to enjoy it because you're gonna have a lot of ups and downs, and certainly when you're playing a great conference. And what's up with the uh, post game ice cream? You know, I started that when I was at Wilmington. When I took over that program, they had uh, at least eight, nine years of where they hadn't won any games, and uh, particularly on the road. 
And so when we got our first road victory at Wilmington, I said, man, we're going for ice cream. And um, it just kind of stuck with us. And very similar to here, when you look at it last year, I think we finished the season uh, losing 10 out of the last 11 games. And most of those were road games. And I felt like that, you know, everybody loves ice cream. So if we can, we get a road win, uh, we're going we're gonna to enjoy ice cream. So do you have to find a spot before you get on the plane or how, how does it work? No, you know, you know, and the coaches are superstitious. We never find a spot before we get on the game because that would be that we think that would curse us. So after the game, uh, whatever the situation is, my director of basketball operation, my graduate assistants, everybody chips in and we kind of see what's the closest spot that's open. And if we win the game on the road, we go get ice cream. Now, if there's, if it's a late game, would you go to a supermarket, a, a CVS, or something like that, or do, do you have to make sure you finish it like that? No, you got to. Hey, when we played at Pittsburgh, and even last night, um, we played nine o'clock games, both were on Wednesdays. And at the Pittsburgh game, we rode around. We 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 rode around to every little place we could go. We went back uh, McDonald's to try to get some soft serve. They didn't have one. <laughs> we ended up finding a Seven Eleven to stop at and. Uh, the managers went in and we got a bunch of ice cream and everybody enjoyed it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, Kevin, I appreciate you doing great things. And uh, I have a good feeling we'll be talking uh, around Selection Sunday with the Wolfpack back in the NCAA tournament. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Andy, for having me on. And joining me here on March Madness 365, right before St. John's took on DePaul and actually won in Chicago, Chris Mullen took some time out of the locker room to spend some time with us here on March Madness 365. Uh, Chris, I want to go a little big picture here first. Um, when you took this job, how fast did you think the rebuilding process would take? I knew it was a three, four-year project, Andy. And you know, there's a lot of factors that you can't control. But realistically, where we were coming from, you know, the roster that we inherited the first year, it was going to be a three, three to four-year project. A lot depends on, you know, some of the guys that we get in as recruits, uh, them staying healthy and just having a little bit of continuity. So with that in mind, um, minus that 0-11 January, things have been going pretty pretty good, actually. How much did that month te- uh, essentially test you? Oh, it was a huge test. That's why I kept telling our players that this, that this is the test. This is what um, makes teams or breaks teams. Um, we talked about it in the moment each and every game. And I think most important was, you know, the day after the game, we held each other accountable. Uh, we were very transparent on what transpired in the film. We did a lot of good things, just not enough to win. You know, things we did well, we tried to, to, to continue to do, and, and our mistakes we tried to fix for the next game. But you had never been in this position before. I mean, obviously, as a player, I'm sure there'd been some losing skids and, you know, throughout the course of your NBA career. Yeah. Uh, you know, at St. John's, you were obviously highly successful. And, and, and look, I mean, obviously, when you guys had run – Run uh, what was it DMC? I'm trying to remember what the 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 acronym D- was. DMC was a rap group. Right? Yeah, DMC was it. <laughs> <laughs> was you? Wait, wait. It was you, Mitch, and um, why am I drawing a blank on the third member? Tim Hardaway, yes. senior. There you yes. go. So uh, <laughs> anyway, you guys are obviously winning at a high level, but that kind of losing, that consecutive losing, I don't think you'd yeah. ever gone through that before. So how much did that really? challenge your patience of trying to get through something like that yeah it is it, i think the, the word you said first and it was the test you know, it really was people sticking together trusting each other believing each other having faith 
And I think the one thing that really got us all through was we were two possessions away. So we were not getting blown out. We had three bad games over the course of that 11. We had uh, two home games. We played terrible against DePaul and Providence. And we had a really bad game at Butler. Those other games, they were two possession games uh, with, you know, three to four to two minutes. In the last four minutes of the game, we were in those games. And different circumstances uh, popped up each game. Uh, but a lot of things we could control. Missed layups, missed free throws. Uh, maybe we got a nice defensive stop, didn't get the rebound. Things like that kept happening to us. So when we looked at it, we said, look, we can correct these things. We'll break through. And I think everyone believed that because we looked at it. You know, I wasn't making it up, you know. So I thought the players believed in it. We kept working. We didn't over overdo our, our you know, depression. We got over it and moved on. When you were in the NBA for all those years as an executive or even when you moved on to working as an analyst, um, mm-hmm. how much were you paying attention to the roller coaster that had been St. John's basketball? Not very closely because uh, I was living on the West Coast and I used to see over like coming in out of Bristol. If they were on, on TV, I would, I would try and watch them if, if I happened to be by the TV. So not, not very closely, you know, and then the biggies had changed quite a bit. I lost kind of track of that whole, you know, the, when, it, when, when they had added all those teams. But I would watch, I would always watch the tournament come March. I'd always watch the uh, college, the NCAA tournament. And why do you think this was the right time for you? Um... Well, what happened was I was preparing to coach at what level I wasn't quite sure. So I kind of started getting my, putting all my stuff together, get my own thoughts together, put my own little book together. That, that, that might have been the NBA, might have been somewhere else. St. John's was always a separate job to me. There were some places in the NBA um, that I thought were really good situations. But St. John's always stood by itself. It was, obviously, it was not an NBA job, but also I looked at the fact that I not only went to school there, it's, it's a big-time program. It's in New York City. There's an NBA feel to it. So it was always a job. I thought if, if the timing was right, I would do it. So the, the, the timing just hit me where I was, I was prepared to start coaching. And when the call came, I kind of jumped on it. How much did you ever consider being that assistant to sort of go through that grind of the day-to-day before you became a head coach? Yeah, I uh, didn't really think too much about it because that wasn't presented to me. But the 30-year grind I put in, whether it be coaching, GM, and um, different different uh, roles I played over the course of my career, you know, I felt like I grinded enough. You know, Chris, we've seen college coaches jump up. Some have been successful, some not, although I would make the argument a lot of the situations weren't uh, ready-made for them, whether it was Leonard Hamilton, you know, or Lon Kruger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Billy Donovan's in a great situation in Oklahoma City when the right uh, right franchise in terms of their executives going the other way from NBA to college uh, when you've gone so long in between what's the toughest adjustment um I just think it's just a little bit lowering your I think slowing down your pace as far as adding things and a lot of times you don't have to add that much you have to find the right balance uh, the right offense for your talent of course and, and, and which is natural the right defensive philosophy. But when you get it down, you know, in the NBA, you, you start adding a lot. You know, you're always adding different things and putting in different wrinkles. With, with the college kids, you got to be a little more patient. Let them kind of really get situated into what they feel comfortable with and maybe do a little bit later in the season. I really think it takes a long time for them to get your basic um, philosophy down. It just takes a while. That's why, you know, this this team here, we had first time last summer. I thought the summertime is really, really important. 
to get your, your basic philosophies put in. Um, so come come the season, at least have an idea what you're trying to do. And what did you see in Shamari when you first saw him play? Well, I saw Shamari quite a bit uh, his junior and senior year, obviously being a local kid. Great instincts. He just got a natural feel for the game, got a feathery touch. Uh, he does a lot of natural stuff on the basketball court. You know, as soon as we got him, I just told him a big thing with him is his pace. He's got to be quick in, in, in small areas, you know. And that's the one thing he did okay last year as a freshman. He did, he did really well this summer. That's all we worked on, his change of pace, sprinting when he doesn't have the ball, being a good screener, working off screens, you know, change his pace when he's trying to get, get open for the ball. And I thought early in the season, I don't know if he was run down, he got into kind of like playing at the same pace. And I thought it uh, took away from his efficiency. This last three weeks, he looks quick again. He's sharp. Um, he's getting by a guy. He's blown by people. And in turn, when he's when he's sizing people above the dribble, they got to honor that. He's, he's getting great separation, getting much better looks. Chris, you've been a part of a lot of big-time wins. What was it like as a head coach to knock off Duke at home and then to go back a couple days later and win at Villanova? Well, I'd say, Andy, two of the most satisfying wins, and not just because of, of who those programs and, and their coaches. Coach K recruited me out of high school, so I've known him for 35 years at least. Uh, I've admired him from the first day I met him, and we we became really close. He was part of the 1984 Olympic staff with Bobby Knight when I played. And then again in 92, he was on the Dream Team staff. So we've stayed in contact, and he's just a great guy. Duke, obviously, you know, one of the most storied programs since he got there in the history of college basketball. So a huge win, no question. And to back it up to go to Villanova and beat the number one team on the road, I think Jay Wright, again, another guy I've watched and admired from afar, Great guy, classy guy, um, wonderful coach. and But really, coming off that 0-11 January, I think was what made it more special because we all, you know, the, the team and myself and my staff, we felt right there. I Probably no one, no one thought we did, but we did. And to break through beating those two-story programs was, was special, but to me more special for what we had been through together. What have you told the players about what it was like to play in the 80s at the Garden because these guys, obviously none of them were alive then, yeah. and they may not really appreciate what you experienced. What do you tell them? Um, not, not a whole lot, Andy. I'm, I'm not, I really don't like to talk about the past too much. You know, I hear guys on TV going back to talking about when they played. That kind of drives me crazy. I do tell them, though, about the opportunity that exists right now, and I think they experienced that. At the Duke game, the, the, the sold-out garden, the, int- the intensity and the energy and the response they got from that. Uh, and then to go back that up and go down to Philadelphia and play a great Villanova, the number one team in the country, Villanova, come back to campus and have all the students excited. I've talked to them about the opportunity that's there for them, uh, not really comparing it to anything. But the one thing I do know, most, you know, most people who's from the East, if you win in New York, there's nothing like it. And lastly, Chris, before I let you go, with the wins that you guys have compiled, the tournament is at Madison Square Garden. I mean, I know you got a mountain to climb, but there's still things that you can achieve. Because you've tasted that kind of success at a highest level over the last couple of weeks, how confident are you that this team, who knows, could go on a run, win the Big East tournament, and somehow make some sort of miraculous run to turn an 0-11 January into an NCAA tournament berth? Well, we know it's possible. That, that we've proven, not only to ourselves, but to everyone else. But to me, I think it's going to take consistency. So 
Um, we have to back up those three games with consistent performances on defensive end, keep sharing the ball on offense. And that that's really going to be more important than trying to have this miraculous run. Let's, let's make this the standard of how we're going to play for the rest of February and take it on into March. Chris Mullen, the head coach of St. John's. We appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us on March Madness 365. Thanks, Andy. Clemson's been one of the surprise stories this season, but maybe not for Clemson head coach Brad Bunnell. Now, we taped this interview right before Clemson played at Florida State, ended up losing in overtime, but that shouldn't dissuade anyone from thinking the Tigers are not having a great year. It was a tough place to play on the road in Tallahassee. So here's our interview with Clemson head coach Brad Brunell. The Tigers have done a phenomenal job dealing with a major injury to a key player and yet being right at the top of the ACC. And the consistency, really, from the beginning of the season, there's been no dips uh, outside of obviously just playing some tough games. Uh, Brad, what do you... A tribute to this team's real consistency on the defensive end uh, when you needed it, and then at times when you needed to score over 70 or 80 points. Yeah, I think we, we have experienced guards, Andy. Certainly uh, the loss of Dante Grantham, uh, you know, three weeks ago uh, was tough for this team. Uh, he was our kind of emotional leader and a guy who was having a terrific senior season. But we're fortunate in that we, uh, we had some guys that had some experience. We have uh, – Three guards that have played a lot of basketball for us, Shelton Mitchell, Marquise Reed, and Gabe DeVoe. I think those three guys uh, have been through the battles of the ACC. Uh, they're guys that can all score. Uh, they shoot the ball well. They can create a little bit off the dribble. Uh, and I think uh, those guys have all been hungry. I think they've been hardened a little bit by a lot of the close losses that we had last year. Uh, a team that was uh, we thought pretty good and, and talented, but just uh, for whatever reason had a hard time closing out games. And this year, those guys have really done a great job of finding ways to win, whether it's making big stops on defense, big shots on offense, or closing games out with free throws. You know, Brad, in your career, you have had strong non-conference scheduling, you know, in terms of wins and losses, and then gone into the ACC, and it's been a little up and down. Why do you think this is different, that you've been able to maintain that from November 10th all the way into late February? Yeah, I really think we our team gained a lot of uh, confidence with a couple of big wins in the non-conference. I thought our win at Ohio State, where we were we were down in the first half and just battled back and, and played very well and kind of won going away a little bit, was really a huge win for us. Obviously, Chris has done an unbelievable job there. and To win at Value City Arena was a big win for us and gave us a little bit of confidence. And then we followed that up by going down and playing Florida down there. And uh, our guys, kind of a similar game where we just were, you know, back and forth, probably down a little bit uh, most of the game and then rallied late in the last 10 minutes and and got another good road win. And I think those two road wins really gave this team a lot of confidence. And then the older players that we have, guys that have been through the wars of the league, I think as we got into league play, we just we got off to a good start, built some positive momentum, and, and they're trying to ride that out to the end here. Look, I know it's a snapshot. You know, it may or may not mean anything what the committee did on uh, this last Sunday. But you guys were in that top 16. And uh, you still got plenty of work to do here in the final couple weeks and then in the ACC tournament before we get to Selection Sunday. But you've been on the bubble before. And so you know you can't be complacent. You can't rest. But what did that do for you to see your, your school's name on that board this early in the season from the committee, not from, you know, some other bracketologist or anything, from, from those that will actually select it. 
How much did that put you at least a little bit at ease? Yeah, it certainly helps, and it's nice to to know that you're being rewarded uh, in the minds of the committee for the the work you did. We we did try to schedule some some challenging games. We thought we had a chance to have a good team because we had older players, and even games where we looked like we you know Louisiana and UNC Asheville are two teams that are winning their league, and both are you know I know Louisiana is right around fifty, and UNC Asheville is around a hundred of the RPI. So those were games that we scheduled to go with the the Ohio State, South Carolinas, and Floridas that we normally schedule to to try to not only prepare us for the ACC, but to turn the eyes of the committee to our team. And if we were in a position to where we we get off to a good start and win some games, that 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 would be recognized. And so certainly with a couple weeks left in the year, it's nice to know that uh, they're recognizing uh, that you've had a lot of success and and all those wins do, do look like they're meaningful. Well, and you've got great shelf life. I mean, you play a Temple team that you lose to down in South Carolina, uh, in a neutral tournament in November, and they're playing their best basketball now. So that that loss has actually aged well. Um, you know, they were a team that maybe wasn't. You, you know, actually, they were playing well then, right. and a little bit of a dip, and now they're back up again. Uh, so that's you know perfectly fine. The road win and the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You don't know what you're going to get. You get one at Ohio State. Look what they've done. <laughs> they're atop the Big Ten right now. And then when you played Florida. You know, that was at the time of the year when they were still playing some of their best basketball, and they've been a little bit up and down. And then, as you say, Louisiana, great team to schedule. Maybe you didn't know how good they would be. Uh, when you look back on that schedule, as you're just saying, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, sometimes it does. What else has stood out, you know, to you about the way some of these teams have really matured into becoming either really good wins or a game like Temple that's not a bad loss at all? Right. Well, yeah, we, we try to put ourselves in a position with some some challenging. When we schedule some of the home guarantee games, we certainly try to find two or three teams that we think have chances to win their league. And uh, that was certainly the case. Texas Southern was another team that, that we scheduled that usually Mike's team has a great chance to win their league. And so we certainly try to schedule some games like that. We obviously uh, look at some non-conference how, uh, Power 5 games that we can you know, challenge ourselves with that's that's been really good. And then we always know in the ACC because of the quality of the league that that you're going to have enough. You know, top fifty type games. You're going to play plenty of those in the league. You're going to get ten of those probably in league play. And then you've got to do your job. You you got to win those games. Yeah, uh, you know, you got to try to win as many as you can at home and go steal one or two on the road to really kind of make your resume look like a good one. And you know, to date we've been able to do some of that. What about the the patience and really the support that your department has given you to allow you to go through the natural, you know, sort of ebbs and flows of a program that's trying to to maintain at a consistent level and obviously, you know, one of the top three conferences in the country? Yeah, I've had a unique, uh, this is my eighth year at Clemson, obviously, and it's been a unique situation. I took over a team that probably was people didn't think it was going to be very good. And we actually responded really well and went to the tournament. And then we kind of had a little bit of a normal dip where we, we had some guys leave. We had to change roster, that kind of stuff. And, and had a couple of years where we were fighting back and then had a team that got really close and, and was one of the last teams out uh, and went to the final four, of the NIT and had everybody back. We had no seniors on that team uh, again, because of a weird roster and uh, thought we were going to be great. Then KJ McDaniel, declared early for us and and at Clemson at that time we just weren't in a position to lose a player of that magnitude I think uh Danny Manning's kind of had a little bit of that happen to him with with his guy uh that went to the Hawks this year and and that's it's hard uh when that happens because you kind of got to pick yourself up again 
and kind of gather your, your group and kind of keep building. And uh, then shortly after that, you know, we, we were going through a, an arena uh, redo, a renovation. And so we were out of our arena for 20 months and uh, played a year in Greenville. And you know, that's 45 to a 50 minute trip on a bus doing that all year. And that was really challenging. And we ended up having a, a tough non-conference schedule and didn't play very well and then bounced back and did some good things in the league. So it was kind of an ebb and flow of it. Last year's team, I think we thought was going to be the team that was going to break through and had an unbelievable non-conference, 10-2, and two, a lot of good wins. Uh, but for whatever reason, we just couldn't close out games. Our league was just so good. We lost about six games right at the wire and uh, ended up another NIT run. And then for whatever reason, I think a lot of people on the outside didn't think that our team was going to be quite as good this year. I think myself, our staff, our players – and really our administrators thought we still had a really good team. And uh, because we did have five guys that we felt were experienced and good players and guys that could score coming back. And so they showed patience. They gave me some, uh, they gave me a little more time. Uh, we've done a lot of things here to renovate and I've helped fundraise and friend raise and, and really create a basketball culture at Clemson. That I think is sustainable. And I think that they saw that along with still having some quality depth this year's team and, it's all, you know, culminated in a really outstanding season and a lot of fun for a lot of different people. And I think you're a great example because you're high character. You know, everyone I know loves you and says nothing negative about you. And I'm sure that's the case on campus. Um, what would be, you know, as you look, you know, as you look, and I know every situation is different. You can't just pass judgment on other schools. But uh, is there something to be said for the way you were treated and allowed to go through the normal ups and downs of trying to build a program like this that maybe other schools could at least look to and yeah. say, you know what, you know, we're all trying to do the same thing here and, and just give us the time if we're doing it the right way. Yeah, I think there is some of that that you hope that you're working for administrators that appreciate all aspects of the job. And I think that's one of the great things that I love about working at Clemson is our president, our board of trustees and and my athletic director, Dan Radakovich they they see the big picture wins and losses are certainly important and you know and it's taken us a while to get back to the ncaa tournament but at the same time graduating your players having good kids in your program that represent your university the right way and are involved in the community getting out and fundraising and friend raising and creating a basketball culture at your school and doing things that are asked of you that that take a lot of time and a lot of coaches don't like to do but you need to do if you want to you want to have a program and not just a good team. I think if, if you have coaches that are doing those kinds of things and you have administrators that see that and recognize it, they're the ones that usually give your your coaches a little more time. If they see good things happening on the court, we were close a lot of times. We had some adverse situations we had to deal with, but there were a lot of really good things happening within our program, not only with the kids and graduating and and in the things they were doing, but we did have a good product on the floor. We had teams that were very competitive and in, in the most difficult league in the country, I think. And eventually it turned our way. Uh, we've gotten a little, little bit better player every year in recruiting and we got a little few breaks. We won more close games this year. And that's a lot of times all this is, is sometimes it's just the law of averages and things bounce back your way uh, with a couple of really good guards. And that's what's happened to us. And all of a sudden, you know, we we're having a great season, but I do think, it's challenging, but I do think oftentimes if you have people in place that are doing great things, if they see the full picture, patience is is often the, you know, the best the best avenue for success. Well, and your rival in your state is a great example of that because, you know, South Carolina ends up in the final four last year 
because they have patience with Frank Martin building something uh, in Columbia. I mean, who would have thought that could have happened? No question. He's done an unbelievable job. And, and uh, you know, every job is a challenge. You know, he's they're not doing quite as well this year, but I think that's that's going to be expected. You don't just turn it every year and all of a sudden we're going to become North Carolina and Duke and and those kinds of programs. You got to be realistic about about what you're dealing with. And it's it's a process that that takes time to sustain. But uh, Frank's done a really good job. Obviously, his last couple of years leading into this year were unbelievable, culminating with a final four run. And now he's gearing back up with with his team and reloading. They're younger again. And so that happens in the nature of, of this business is you're going to get younger again every once in a while, and you're going to have to grow some guys up and uh, build your team back up in a couple of years to, to go compete at the highest of levels. And he'll certainly do that in South Carolina. Brad, one last thing before we let you go. During this whole process of, of, of the past eight years, what, what have you learned about yourself in terms of how you have to manage your own stress, your own life balance, and, and really be patient uh, in a building process like this? Yeah, it's tested me, uh, Andy, no question about it. I, I was fortunate, you know, when I took over at a young age, I worked for Jerry Wainwright, who was a terrific coach, uh, at UNC Wilmington. I was his top assistant and took over for him in a very good situation and, uh, had a lot of immediate success there. Uh, in the four years, we went to a couple tournaments, won the league. And, and then I, you know, left and went to Wright state and, you know, we won 20 games four years in a row and went to a tournament and, and had a lot of success. And, you know, to come to Clemson, uh, which was a great challenge and something I was certainly excited to do. You know, we had success my first year and I knew it was going to be a harder second and third year probably than the first uh, because of some roster situations. Uh, but it, it challenges you. There's no question. It tests your patience. Uh, it tests you believing in what you're doing both, you know, philosophically in terms of everything uh, of running a program. And then it's also taught me, you know, there's so much more involved than just the X's and O's and, and managing your players that, you know, I've had to learn about how to, how to build the whole program. And uh, Coach Wainwright did that and did a great job of that at UNC Wilmington. And I saw it firsthand. I started to do a little bit of that at Wright State, and I thought we did some really good things. But to even try to do it at a, at a Power 5 school is a bigger challenge and takes even more of your time. And you have to have a tremendous staff, you know, and I've had uh, I've had a lot of turnover. I've had three guys that have gotten head coaching jobs. And so that's probably contributed to a little bit of our our change here and and our challenge in the in this process. But it's no question. My patience has been tested more than than I ever thought. Uh, And it's also tests you philosophically about what you believe in and how you do things. And I think that's something that I've grown from over these last eight years. Brad Burnell, the head coach at Clemson, doing a phenomenal job with the Tigers this season as they are nearing the top of the ACC. Thanks for joining us on March Madness 365. Good to be with you, Andy. All right, that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, we're here every week on iTunes, on NCAA.com, through March Madness, on Twitter, and all other forms of NCAA social media. We will be talking to you over the next couple weeks of the regular season, into the NCAA tournament, and by the nature of our title, all year round, we're talking college basketball. Thanks for listening.